Welcome to Food Chat, a weekly show that's all about food production, including farming, ranching, processing, and basically all things involved in getting food from the field to your plate. Now, let's get you reconnected to your food, and here are your hosts, Greg Bloom and Chef Jackson Lamb. Talk about an uphill battle, 2,000 acres of beans and cattle, but he don't ever get around. Welcome to Food Chat. Food Chat is all about where your food comes from. We've had some great guests on the last few months, and you can find those past episodes of Food Chat at www.foodchat.us. We interview farmers, ranchers, people in food production, people that make food. Hey, today we have a great guest on, Chef Joe Gatto. Chef Joe, welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much for having me. I love this podcast, so this is great. Oh, cool. I'm so excited to have you on. And Chef Joe, let's just start by telling our listeners a little bit about you, where you're at, what your background is, and uh, and how you got into food. Absolutely. Um, so I'm Chef Joe Gatto. I'm a private chef. I've cooked for Celtics players, Red Sox players. I have a TV show on Pluto TV called From Scratch, where... I went around New England making everything from scratch, for, uh, like handboarding my own knives, making my own charcoal, pulling water out of the Atlantic, making salt. I have my own radio show on WBUR Boston, which is NPR, and a national book called From Scratch as well. Yeah, I just love the fact, Joe, that you uh, really are curious about, like I am, you know, where food comes from and how it's made. And, you know, you do things, you take a lot of time to not only explore and learn, but then you, you teach, you know, you teach people how to do things. So have you always just been that naturally curious about where things come from and how they're made? Yeah, 100%. I mean, for me to break a dish down to its core isn't only like exciting and delicious, it's super interesting to me. So when, you know, I started making everything from scratch, what really started opening up like the can of worms for me is I made a BLT and made the bread and then I made sriracha mayo. So I made sriracha, I made mayonnaise and then I decided, oh, I'll make five pounds of bacon. And then I went to a farm to get the lettuce and it just kind of kept growing from there where I just became super interested. I was like, you know, where... What if I broke down the pig? What, you know, how far can I take it? And how much better is it? And then one of the huge benefits that's actually really driven my entire career is the people I've met in the interim, the farmers, the purveyors, the vendors that do this. Because not only are they talented business people, they're also truly artists. Yeah, and I just love the fact that you do that, that you go meet the people that produce food because, you know, the food industry is segmented and no one does everything. You know, everybody has their little thing that they do well. But the farmers, they really can't talk to the end users. They don't have time to uh, really, you know, make videos and and TV shows and radio like you do. So you're actually kind of like their spokesperson (laughs) because you're the one that's talking to the people that eat the food. It's true. I mean, I feel like when I open this up to my audience, you know, and as, as you know, like on Instagram at Chef Joe Gatto, just, that's where I put videos. So I just recently made a knife with a master knife maker in Cambridge. I'm going to a mushroom farm to show off this mushroom farm, which is about a half hour from me, because I feel like my audience really wants to know about these kinds of places. 
but they don't ever see them. There's no time, like you said, there's no time for those guys to go out and promote it or have an Instagram page. They do have Instagram pages, but it's really hard when you're running a business to run that as well. So it's a great way for me to introduce people to things they might not know are out there. Right. Yeah. What well, such a valuable experience you're doing. Hey, Chef Joe, let's talk about um, some specific genres of food that you just love to prepare and know about. So what is your what is what is the one you want to key in on today? I mean, I for me, it, uh, like Mexican food um, is the love of my life. We have a place down in Tulum, so I go down there quite often. And that food to me just things. I can't stop eating it. I can't stop making it. And I can't stop like messing with it and changing it and varying it and learning more about it. I'm really obsessed, for, especially around like the Awaka Valley where, you know, I love everything from tamales to tacos, but the fish down there, just everything with those flavors really gets me excited as a chef. Yeah, I love the Mexican food scene. Um, my wife and I go down there a lot on business. We actually sell food to Mexico. So we go down there to see customers. We're typically in Guadalajara or Puerto Vallarta or Jalisco or uh, the surrounding states there where most of my customers are. But, you know, I don't think I've ever had a bad meal down there. It's all from scratch, fresh local ingredients just it's just yep. amazing and if you get out of the touristy places because there's you know Puerto Vallarta is a very touristy town of course if you get off the tourist trip and go just 10 minutes you know walk or uber into where the locals live the, the cost of the food goes down to about half as much as in the resorts and it's better exactly. yep. it's better at these local little families that are making great food so it's just amazing I love that part of it right the further you go out the less expensive it is, but the more tasty it is, right? Right. It's amazing. So let's talk about from scratch Mexican food. So tell us some of the things you've learned and, and why you have a passion for it. I mean, one of the things when we went down to, I mean, it really, if you want to get to the, the crux of it, it was when I lived in Los Angeles. And I grew up in Massachusetts where the food influence, you know, it's very... England, British, France, you know, that's where, all, you know, Boston and that's I really, a lot of the influence comes from. But when I moved to Los Angeles, you know, it's Asian and Mexican influence. It's a totally different flavor profile. And that really woke my taste buds up. And I just found authentic Mexican there. And I just couldn't get over the combination of deep, earthy, rich flavors always counterbalanced with these bright acidic citrus salsas and things like that and the combination to me of that earthiness and that brightness just really i mean it danced on my tongue and i just couldn't get over it so i started digging in and i started making tamales which has become one of my go-to foods as you know i call like my my last meal food and then I started making masa myself. So I started breaking down field end corn through the process of nixtamalization and started making my own lard. And when I started making the tamales that way, they were, they, they were just world changing for me. And then I got into conchonita pea bill, which is, you know, it's like kind of pulled pork on steroids. It's ridiculous. It uses achiote. It's low roasted in banana leaves and, so stuffing tamales with that and 
my kids love making tortillas. So we make all different kinds of tortillas from corn to flour to, and we use different flavors to color them. And they, they love tacos. So we do tacos a lot because they love fish tacos. And it just became kind of a part of my life where it's just a food that when I eat it, it just, it has a very homey quality to it. But at the same time, it's elevated. And that combination to me is just something I can cook at home, but I so I, I could also cook at an event. Okay, I'm no, sorry, Jeff, Chef Chad, I mean to cut you off. I want to talk about masa because most of my listeners will not know what that is or how it's made. But before I ask you about masa and tamales and. Uh, that, you know, um, street tacos have just become this thing the last decade, you know, not just uh, here in Denver where there's great food trucks that park all over town and serve super fresh, super nice, uh, you know, uh, fresh uh, street tacos, you know, not the old-fashioned tacos I grew up with, you know, the, the, the like the Giga Taco Bell, the crunchy ones with ground beef and lettuce. These are, they're making, the, they're making the tamales fresh right off the truck, you know, it's great. I'm not the tamales, but the tortillas, you know, so it's awesome. Right. Absolutely. I mean, and I, we, I grew up with exactly what you're talking about, and I call them mall tacos, which, because there was this place that's still there, the Burlington Mall, and when I would go there when I was a kid, you know, a teenager, they had a Mexican restaurant, but it was, you know, really Tex-Mex with, you know, I'm sure he looked older to me, but he was a 16-year-old kid, and it was greasy ground beef and a stale, you know, crunchy taco with some, you know, lettuce that's browned on the edges and a packet of sauce, and I thought they were the greatest things in the world. And, I, you know, now looking back on it, I laugh, but I make a version of that for my kids which is elevated, but I call them mall tacos. So I, I remember growing up on those as well. Yeah, I grew up with mall tacos, too. And, and every now and then I'll run into someone and, and I'll be talking about how much I love Mexican food. And they'll say, well, I don't really like Mexican food. And then I have to ask them, where where, where did you eat Mexican food growing up or right. that you didn't like it? <laughs> right, exactly. Because, yeah, it gets lost in translation sometimes of, of Mexican and Tex-Mex, you know, because Tex-Mex is such an ingrained part of American food culture. And I love Tex-Mex as well. It's just, you know, it's its own thing. It's its own food. Well, what I find an interesting um, comparison is that here in the States, everything, you know, up until like maybe, I don't know, 20 years ago in the food scene had to be made fast. And, you know, when you go to Mexico, they're not making food fast. They're making food slow. They slow down the whole process, and it can take a long time to bring that lunch you just ate or that dinner to fruition. So could you talk about that just slowing down? Because you, you slow down food preparation yourself, right? Yeah, I mean, one of the I love that process. One of the things that I've really gotten into in my career um, is enjoying the moment and not always chasing the carrot. And that comes in food preparation, too. When things take a long time, I feel very connected to them. If it's taking me a long time to make a dish, I feel really attached to it because I'm really taking the time and the dish, really when you eat it, you can feel that time, that love, that passion that's behind it because you know someone really had to sit and watch this and pay attention to what they're doing. They're not just slapping it on a plate. You're totally right because in Mexico when you get that when you hit the taco trucks, right, and like in Tulum, there's one street that's just, as far as the eye can see, 
It's 10 at night, music blaring, taco trucks. The meat smoke is billowing in the air. It's just an electric kind of scene. But when you eat that taco that takes you, you know, because they're so small and you can eat so many of them, but it took those people probably, you know, just to do the meat, it might have taken them a day or two, you know, depending how long that braise took. But you can taste it, right? You can taste that love and and that culture that comes with it, and that it's probably cooked in an old copper pot that was passed down from generation to generation. So that kind of preparation really does speak to me because my my wife says I'm a grandmother at heart. <laughs> that's great. Yeah, I love that phrase, enjoy the moment. And I think that's what I want to leave our listeners with today, whether you're, you know, uh, eating food or prepara- prepara- uh, preparing food, you know, just – just really enjoy the moment. You know, it really does make sense that it should take a long time to prepare a good meal or food the right way. Because when you think about the production, the farmer, the rancher, whoever's raising the animal or whoever's raising the crop, I mean, that took them a long time. It took them a season. Or if it's a beef cow, it took them three years. <laughs> They're doing the whole thing. What? Yeah. So it's amazing that, you know, I think in America, we've kind of I don't know what the right word is, but we've really kind of ruined food with the whole fast food scene. Yeah, there's some good fast food here and there, but there's there's a time and a place for when you need to go through a drive-through just to get something nourishing. But but in general, I just love you know the whole slow down process. Hey, let's talk about masa. What is that, and how is it made? Well, masa is what you find you know in tamales or sobeys or corn tortillas. And masa starts out as field den corn, which um, out here you typically find when they do the big, like, uh, cornfield mazes. Um, and 90% of uh, field den corn is used for cattle feed. But it, it, if you take it, it's not like regular sweet corn that you eat. It looks like it, but it has a slight indentation on the top of it. But if you take it and you put it through a process called nixmalization, it jellifies the husk and makes it where you can grind it. And you can grind it rough or you can grind it fine, but I grind it, and that's how you make tamales, is from the masa. And how long does that take, Norm, if you're making masa? Is it like a couple hours or more or less? Yeah, it's a process because you have to boil it and slack live. And that's what jellifies it. And then you have to leave it for a little bit to really sit in that. And then you need to wash it repeatedly to get that lye off. And then once you do that, you can throw it in. I mean, I throw it into a food processor. Or if you have a grinder, you can use that. And um, and then you make the masa from there. And then once you make the masa, you're mixing the, the masa you just made with a fat, typically lard and a little baking powder, and I use achiote to make it orange and give it a little kind of earthiness. And then you stuff them, and you wrap them in dried corn leaves that you've soaked in water, and you steam them for about 60, 70 minutes, depending, and they come out, and they are the food of the gods, in my opinion. Now, is the pork that you're putting inside or whatever you're putting, whatever protein you're putting in your tamale, is it already cooked or is it being cooked inside of the tamale while you're cooking it? No, you actually cook it beforehand and then stuff it, um, you know, and um, and like the conchonita peabill, which I use, which is the pork, is exactly what we were talking about. It's a slow braised product. So, you know, like four to six hours, 
you know, depending if you have a slow cooker, you can use that or you can do it in the oven. I like to do mine in the oven. I feel like, you know, I like those. I uncover it for the last half hour and get a, so I get a, some of those crispy bits, which I really enjoy. And then you pull it, and I add a little pico de gallo in it, when, and then you roll it, um, tie it off, and steam it. They're unbelievable. If your audience hasn't tried tamales, it seems like an overwhelming process, but just like everything from scratch, it's not as hard as you think. No, it's not as hard as you think, and uh, it's it's one of those meals. I think that every person out there that eats food should have a go-to culinary uh you know, there's five or th- six things they know how to do well. It could be barbecue and it could be baking. But th- just, this would be one of those things that, you know, you should know how to do because tamales are so good. And even if you have, uh, you know, people coming over as guests in your family, your friends, your neighborhood that are vegans or vegetarians, you can make, you know, you can make uh, vegan tamales, right? So I've seen them before, but oh. tamales are so yummy. Yeah, and it's thousand percent. They're so customizable. So if you have vegetarians or vegans coming over, you just change the fat from lard to use, you know, you can use vegetable shortening, right? And then instead of stuffing it with pork, you can do a roasted vegetable dish and stuff it in that. So you're roasting poblanos and mushrooms and you use chili powder and cumin that you're grinding yourself and you can get a wonderful, wonderful vegetarian tamales. We make those. For a lot of parties and the fun part is with that part of the masa you can just add whatever i mean even a little organic green food coloring to the masa so those ones come out green and then when you open them up you don't have to worry about it when you open them up the green ones are vegetarian you do red for the meat ones they open them up and those ones are red so everyone never eats the wrong one and it looks super cool yeah, that's a great, great suggestion. Super simple suggestion, but so, so important. Then, you know, I like to put green chili. I make my own green chili, oh, and I smother oh. them in green chili. A lot of people like red chili, but you, you can really oh. get carried away with the things you can put on tamales. <laughs> yeah, I mean, make a tamale bar, right, and just, and just let me go to town. I'll, I'll go back a couple times and try everything. I, I, and that's another great thing because they do freeze really well. And one of the fun things you can do, we've done that my, like, we did met for my 50th birthday party. You have people at your party and people want to learn how to wrap them. So it's a fun project for everyone to do together and together. And it becomes a very like community, familia kind of activity. So they learn a little something and they get to shove something that's amazing in their pie hole when they're done with it. Yeah, that's a great idea. Have a tamale party. I'm going to do that this year, Chef Joe. That's a great idea. Now, we have listeners on the radio program here in Colorado that uh, live in all parts of the state. But when we do our podcast version, Chef Joe, it's primarily listened to when we see who's listening, people in the urban cities, people that live in cities, big cities everywhere across the country. So where do they buy the components for tamales if they're in Chicago or Boston or New York or wherever? I mean, everything's so accessible now. Um, any local Whole Foods is going to have that. Most most stores carry masa now. But if you can't find it, I mean, hello, Amazon. Talk about so easy to find anything. You can find your corn husks on there. You can get your lard on there. And you can definitely get pre-ground masa on there. You can actually find field dent corn on there as well if you want to take it to the limit and do it from scratch because I've gotten it there in a pinch before. And, I mean, you really can't access anything through the Internet. But 
you know, um, the only thing you wouldn't be able to find at a Whole Foods would be whole field dent corn. But you can definitely find that online. But you can find a pre-ground masa, which you can use for tamales, and it makes your life even easier because you're just taking the masa, putting it in, adding the fat, adding a little chicken broth, and boom, you've got it. You know, of course, you're seasoning it with salt and things like that, but it's a really easy dough. Yeah, I think that's a great idea uh, where to get the components. And also, you know, uh, if you're driving around everybody and you see something that says carniceria, Usually they're going to have it, right, Chef Joe? I mean, they're selling carniceria means carne means meat, but inside there they have all kinds of Mexican groceries, and they're selling authentic Mexican ingredients in those stores. So, yeah, I mean, when down that area, absolutely, you know, you'll find like just like LA, you can find pre-made masa at a lot of Mexican grocers down in Tulum. A lot of the smaller grocers carry it as well, so it makes it even easier. Then you're just spreading it into your corn husk and steaming it. So it's super easy, super accessible. Yep, that's a great idea. Now, if tamales, for our listeners, are a little bit intimidating and making your own masa, I, you know, for someone that is curious about food, I don't think it would be too hard. But maybe a level one uh, try, Chef Joe, would be, you know, making your own street tacos and making your own tortillas. Because at my house, we very commonly have... Uh, street taco night and we're cutting up fresh cilantro dirt cheap easy to find and then whatever meat we have left over where we repurpose steak we chop it up or we repurpose pork loin we chop it up into little bits to make put on the tacos you can just repurpose any protein or vegetable you have in your in your refrigerator it's a great thing to do is what's for dinner tonight oh look pull everything out of the refrigerator that's in there and let's make street tacos (laughs) but what about the tortillas how do you go about making fresh tortillas because nothing better than a hot fresh tortilla in your street tacos yeah and i mean you know my kids make these so for your listeners this should be a snap and you can make two types you can make the corn or you can make the flour if let's let's go on the masa kick right so you have dried masa all you're doing is cutting in a fat okay so whatever you want do you want to use canola oil lard vegetable shortening butter whatever you want so you just get kind of a grainy dough. So you're cutting into maybe two cups of masa, like, I don't know, a couple tablespoons of fat. And then it gets a little grainy where you can feel it on your fingertips, but it's not wet. And then you just add a little chicken broth until you get a dough. And if you have a press, you use a press. If not, for corn, you want to have the press, right? The tortilla press, which are super cheap and super easy to find. They're everywhere. And it's a really fun process. And that goes, once you finish pressing one, you put it right onto a dry griddle, and you're 30 seconds aside. For flour tortillas, it's the same process, except you're using flour, cutting in your fat, adding a little liquid, chicken broth, water, whatever you want. You get a dough ball. You break off pieces the size of a golf ball, roll it out with a rolling pin into a circle or semicircle. If it's not round, it's rustic. And then you're popping that on a dry griddle and browning it about 30 seconds aside. And then you have your fresh tortillas. And like you said, and I couldn't agree more, fresh tortillas, they are not my kids. We could make 100 of them, and my kids would just eat those all in one day. They are the best. Yeah, yeah, that's a great skill for our listeners to learn. It's so easy. And, yeah, buy a corn press. You can find that on Amazon, too. And I, I like uh, to serve the corn tortillas more than the flour. I love them both, but 
when you have the the right field dead corn and you're making the moss, uh, it's just so fun. And then your guest comes over, and more and more people, you know, they're not celiac, but they don't want to have gluten. They just don't eat gluten. They just feel better with yep. no gluten. So there goes the flour tortillas, you know. So I, you know, just go to the corn tortillas. You can have both, but I think if you're going to default to one, I default to the corn tortillas. Do you also do that? We are definitely in the same boat. I am a corn tortilla freak because um, we there's on my Instagram you can see we did um, we did some with four different colors in the same tortilla, so they were quadrants. And we did like chipotle flavored, we did uh, cilantro flavored, and we did black bean flavored, and then plain. And we were pressing it out with four little pieces next to each other, so it created like a quadrant. Uh, tortilla, and you could taste the flavor difference in each bite. So you can have a ton of fun with them as well. I've never tried that, Chef Joe. I didn't know that you could actually taste the the difference, the one you just described. I, I didn't think there'd be enough flavor in there for you to actually taste it on your palate, yeah. but I'm going to try it. It's it, a good tip. We, it came through. It's subtle, but you know when you hit that Chipotle, you're feeling that. You, you can smell that smoke and you get a little bit of that heat and when you hit that cilantro, it's just that little bit brighter because I use cilantro and lime. So it's a really interesting eating experience as well. But when you put it onto the table for people to use, it's absolutely stunning. So I'm going to post on the when this podcast comes out and it's listed on foodchat.us, I'll have the list of ingredients you need to have on hand for your taco party and your tamale party. But Chef Joe, I want to. Uh, we only have about a minute or two left, but I just want to talk to people about one secret that I've learned in Mexican food, and that is they use lard. <laughs> they don't use yeah. vegetable oil, and it does make it taste so much better, don't you think? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think lard just got a bad rap because they called it lard, which is a terrible name. If they had called it like white lightning or something, you know, I think everyone would use it because it is so delicious, and it really does give it that depth of flavor, you know? Yeah, my grandmother cooked with lard, and I, I'm going to stop calling it lard because it's kind of, uh, that name's been kind of demonized. The whole idea when I grew up that saturated fats, the, the fats found butter, meat, and cheese, and dairy products are bad for you. We've kind of uh, debunked that myth now. We know that saturated fats are not bad for you, but lard was in that category of, of don't use lard, use vegetable oil. Well, nah, actually lard's good for you, and it makes food taste so much better. Yeah, and making your own lard, that's something, you know, like rendering out back fat and making your own lard. We do, I do an infused lard that I do with, um, like, achiote and annatto seed, and it comes out bright orange, but I just keep it in my fridge. And, you know, if I'm sautéing something and you just use a little, like, a tablespoon of that in the pan, immediately when it hits the pan, it smells amazing. So you know you're getting another layer of flavor just by the fat you're using instead of just... And you don't have to use it every time, but instead of just using, you know, something like a canola oil that doesn't have any flavor, you're using something that's adding another layer to your dish, which I think is fantastic. Yeah, I do too. So, Chef Joe, I'm so sorry. We could talk for another hour about this, and it would be fun to talk to, and I think it'd be fun for our listeners. But we're out of time, so would you tell our listeners how they can find out about you and what you're doing? Like, where, where do they go if they kind of want to follow you and learn from you? Absolutely. If you go to at Chef Joe Gatto on Instagram, that's where I am. And you can find everything. There's a link to there's links to my TV show, my radio show, my book, 
Um, everything funnels right to Instagram, and you can see fun things I do for like from making knives to taking my kids to make ice cream from scratch. So we do lots of fun things. It's always involving my family, and you really get to kind of get a glimpse into what I do. You see behind the scenes of the radio show. I've got a new TV show in development, so you see behind the scenes in that. I keep it fun, and I keep it really fast and entertaining. Great. Chef Joe Gatto, thank you for being on Food Chat today. I just enjoyed our time together, so thanks a lot. Yeah, this was awesome. I love chatting food with you. Anytime you want me back, my friend, you let me know. This is great. Certainly will. Thanks, Chef. Take care. Thank you. Today's episode of Food Chat is brought to you by RanchFreshMeats.com. RanchFreshMeats.com has the best selection of beef, bison, wagyu, air-chilled chicken, turkey, and duroc pork, and more, all sourced from the family farms and ultra-clean USDA plants that they know personally. Take the mystery out of where your meat comes from and how the animals were cared for and buy your family's meats at RanchFreshMeats.com. Hey, save 10% on your first order by using Food Chat at checkout. Orders over two hundred dollars include free shipping ranchfreshmeats.com here's to the farmer the plants the fields and the spring the turn from green to that harvest honey pull one up for the banker downtown they got him on his feet with handshake of money here's to the farmer's wife that loves him every night raising a son and a daughter they gather around the table send it up to the father somehow they get closer when times get harder here's to the farmer the views and opinions expressed on klz 560 are those of the speaker and do not necessarily reflect those of crawford broadcasting the station management employees associates or advertisers klz 560 is a crawford broadcasting god and country station